This is a Niche Radio podcast. For more, visit www.nicheradio.co.za. Welcome to the Come Join Us channel. Uh, I'm very fortunate today I have my good friend Noxie join us here in Stellenbosch. We're at the Stormer Junge and uh, we're enjoying the lovely Grenache from Lawrence Orensig. Thank you for sharing with us. Um, Noxel, what's up? What's happening? Great. So, well, it's so wonderful to see you in Stelly. Yeah, it's been I haven't a long been here for a long time. Don't you want to introduce to the Come Join Us community who and what you are and what do you do, actually? Well, I've been working for Stellenbosch University since 2005. So, I feel like, you know, a resident of Stellenbosch. Yeah. And that's in some ways how I ended up meeting you because I've been of living course. in Stellenbosch and this is the wine region. And yes, very grateful to be having this wonderful yeah, Grenache. Yeah, this is stunning. Isn't stunning. It stunning? Yeah. We actually met at the Niederberg Wine Auction. So yes, we met absolutely. through a glass of wine, so For pretty sure. much. But I want you to tell me, how did you end up in Stellenbosch? Where do you come from? What did you originally study? And you're giving class. I mean, Knox is a professor, by the way. So she'll tell us a little bit more in detail why she's a professor. Tell well, us. Well, I, I love plant chemicals and... Um, I've always had an interest in plant biochemistry yeah. and when I moved to Stellenbosch after my PhD at the University of Kwazulu Natal, I thought, you know, why not study Cape Flora? We have this amazing uh, Cape Floristic region here with plants that are not found anywhere else in the world and wonderful medicinal plants, a very strong cultural connection um, of the plants to people. So I thought... This is a very interesting area. I live in an interesting part of the world and be really great to get to understand more about yes. medicinal plants of South Africa. Okay. So I'm a medicinal plant biotechnologist and I have a key focus in studying Cape Flora. Fantastic. And you are originally from Alice, am I right? Yes, a okay. little town smaller than Stellenbosch. <laughs> in the Eastern Cape. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, awesome. And uh, your parents, you grew up there. Your father, you told me once, was pretty much into his plants and so forth as yep. well. My dad was a botanist and I think my first words in English were flower and anything else related <laughs> to plants and botany. <laughs> so it's it's been a long, wonderful journey with plants and my mom loves to garden she still is an advent, advent you know a uh, gardener and um plants have always been part of your life me. Yeah. yeah okay and then you went to girl school there in Anne's, wasn't it or where did no, you no, go i was actually at dsg in grahamstown oh grahamstown okay and, and then that was a really great experience as well a wonderful school and i think my love for, for biology basically grew there because yeah. i had this crazy wonderful teacher called mam rob yeah. And she used to bring all kinds of specimens into our class. And so that led to this, you know, need to understand more about biological systems. Yeah. Okay, amazing. And then you went to your tertiary education. Where did you go and do that? I did that in Natal. Okay, you said in Natal. Okay, and, and when I when I got back to the Cape, I had to relearn Afrikaans. Oh, gosh. Because I'd sort of forgotten <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> but so you've been here how long now? I've been here for a while now. So okay, and with Salamash University? Yes. Stalamash from the beginning? Yep, all the way. Okay, and then what is your primary function with Salamash University? What do you do for them exactly? 
I'm a lecturer and my duties are basically lecturing, so teaching undergrad classes, doing research, training students at the postgraduate level right up to PhD. And at the same time, I have to have some community involvement. Yeah. So those are my three roles, which the University of Stellenbosch actually expects from me. Okay, that's amazing. But I am very fascinated about your medicinal plants. I went to listen to your talk in Joburg, I yeah. remember. Yeah, that was and, and that was amazing. And I, can we touch base a little bit on that? How does your project normally work? And how, how do you start with a project and your research and so forth? So I always try and work on plants which I think are interesting and have a commercial application. Okay. And so all the medicinal plants that I work on are either already commercialized and there's certain key areas that we have very little understanding about where I feel I can actually um, add value or else we are interested in discovering new plants that can actually fit into the naturopathic space where people are using plants as as botanical drugs. Okay. So those are my interests and I'm also interested in how plants and people connect. Yes. And similarly with wine, for instance. Yeah. You know, wine actually comes from the grape, the soil where the wine, well, where the grapes are coming from influences the flavors of the wine. And believe it or not, this is exactly the same with medicinal plants. So at the moment, we're doing a lot of metabolomic analysis. And that sounds like a really big word. Trust me, all big, it is, big for me. Yeah, explain all to it me. is no. is trying to understand the profile, the chemical profile of a medicinal plant. And so we look at populations from different regions and try and understand how the terroir of the region actually influences influences yeah. the medicinal value. You see. And what if you find in South Africa, being in a different climate than overseas, for example, or something that you uh, grow in a, a, you know, in a grow house or something mm-hmm. like that, is there influences difficult, one that's natural, one that's in that environment, uh, and that's well, different? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think plants respond to their space. When you baby them a little bit, then they get lazy. It's like anything. Um, if you are too kind, sometimes, you know, it doesn't get rough enough. Yes. So, um, with plants, it's exactly the same. So, if you are too tender and too kind and you provide all the perfect conditions, then they don't make these valuable chemicals which are important for health. So, different environments and depending on the climate uh, will actually influence the secondary metabolite profiles. So we do look at those aspects. We look at how these secondary metabolites are influenced by the genetics. Um, Is natural always better or not necessarily? Can you manipulate it a little bit? Yes, you can. You can manipulate it by maybe giving it more rough conditions, um, which allows the plant to express itself a little bit more. So it just depends on the conditions that you're growing them in. Okay, awesome. So tell me about the people that you normally work with. I work with a variety of different people. I work obviously with scientists and researchers, um, students um, at undergrad and postgrad level. I mentioned this before, but at the same time, I work with a very unique community of Rastafarian herbalists who are the that's where I want to get to. <laughs> Listen, even we in the vibe here with Poison City Brewery at the back of us. 
for sure. Marijuana. It's yes. a big thing that's going on right now. And Absolutely. a lot of people are talking about it with new investments, legalizing it, all of it. Tell us about it. Well, it's a herb that's been used for centuries. And South Africa is actually not the center for the diversification of cannabis. But we do have our different strains, which yeah. are unique and naturalized in, in South Africa. I'm sure some of us have heard about Durban Poison and yeah, Swazi yeah. Gold. <laughs> They're all kinds. And um, these different strains are uniquely African. And cannabis, from a historical point of view, has had a long association with use for medicinal purposes. I'm not sure if people are aware, but if you are suffering from asthma and you drink a tincture of um, of marijuana tea, it can actually alleviate the tension um, that's caused in the lungs by asthma. How would you do it then? So As a tea. Really? Yeah. And you drink it as a tea as and well? you drink it as a tea rather than smoking it. And is there a specific marijuana that you use on any marijuana? What would you say? Well, I would go for medical marijuana because that's the one that's low in the chemicals that make you feel funky and okay. high. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you have different, you have different um, variants of marijuana and medical marijuana is actually low on THC which is the chemical that actually makes you to feel high. Yes. And it's you know, I mean, I was reading an article the other day about how they're making products for animals um, from cannabis um, to relieve pain and yes. rheumatism in, yeah. in dogs, for instance. So all kinds of applications. And I think this is an industry that's going to really go crazy mm. um, here in South Africa with the new legislation. It hasn't been legalized completely yet, though, is it? Well, or what you, can, is it? you can have some at home yes. for your own personal use. Okay. But the legislation is very unclear at the moment if you want to be a manufacturer of yeah. different products. But then you need to you most probably to register and know and get so Get the right permits. Yes. Get the right strains. Have a team of people that actually know how to grow it properly. Yeah. And how to domesticate the plant. So there's quite a lot that's actually involved. There was a massive exhibition now, I think, also in Cape Town, where yes, they had absolutely. a whole thing about cannabis and the for different sure. strains of using it, even hemp, for example, making yep. clothes, all of it. So tell me, what's the difference between hemp and cannabis? Well, you know, they're different um, variants. Um, hemp is really wonderful because it gives you these very strong fibers. Um, and cannabis is, well, you know, they're both cannabis. But, you know, marijuana that's associated with feeling iry, groovy, <laughs> is the one that <laughs> has the high levels of, uh, of THC. So there are different um, variants or subspecies and important for different things. Okay. And, yeah, tell me a little bit more. When you were doing the whole thing with the rices, I can, I can remember you told me something about that you were looking at things for cancer, for example. Yes. What your thing that you've seen now with cancer, curing, how do they... So, I know they interpret it and they know this plant works. And then you come and you say from a medical and slash working with it in the lab and so forth, you basically find out why. Am I right? Well, absolutely. We are interested in... 
whether the claims of traditional healers and sangamas, etc., you know, medicinal practitioners that come from using the plants and actually understanding more about indigenous knowledge, uh, we are interested in whether these plants are working, how do they work, and also trying to get to a point where you can standardize the extract and be able to standardize the dose for use. So we are interested in sort of discovering new natural products, new chemical entities that might fit into a pharmaceutical space. And our first line when it comes to this kind of discovery is actually talking to people that have um, traditional knowledge with respect to these plants. And I think a really wonderful example to show how traditional knowledge can influence discoveries is artemisinin. Now, this is a chemical that's now used as a treatment for malaria. Okay. And Instead of using the hectic malaria pills that's on your kidneys, it works very hectically, all of that. Yeah, so, it's a, it's a, so, I suppose it's a, it's a different um, um, anti-malarial treatment. And... Um, it was discovered by a Chinese lady and her um, basis for making this discovery was actually traditional Chinese medicine. Okay. So we are interested in understanding our local traditional medicines and how they can actually fit into a global phytopharmaceutical space. Okay, so your journey in China we were chatting yeah. about. Um, tell us a little bit more. East meets West, how does it work, what's different to what they're doing, what we're doing, and what can we learn from them and what can they learn from us? Well, to be honest, I think they are so far ahead of us yeah. because they have these uh, traditional medicinal hospitals where yes. you can go for acupuncture, you can go for different uh, herbal remedies, which are really ancient. Yeah. You know... Traditional Chinese medicines have been recorded for a very, very long time. And they have preparations and formulae and weights of each individual herb and what they should put in and when they should actually pick a particular herb to include in a plant uh, herbal mix. So it's highly sophisticated. And the traditional medicines, the use of traditional medicines in China is very formal and you have highly skilled people that have got PhDs who are, are very trained as doctors administering um, traditional Chinese uh, medicines. One of their problems, though, is linked um, to perhaps pesticides that have yeah. been found, adulterations of the traditional Chinese medica medications, where somebody will maybe pop a little bit of a, you know, if it's supposed to be something that's anti-inflammatory, they might put in a little bit of aspirin to I increase see. the potency of, of, of the herbal remedy. So you do have these adulterations that do take place, but they are trying to minimize the use of pesticides in terms of growing medicinal plants in China and also... They are using very sophisticated technologies to try and pick out some of the problems that might be linked to adulteration. Yeah. 
Um, so there are streets ahead in terms of their medicines. But at, on the other hand, we have this incredible flora that's not really discovered. Some of my Chinese collaborators say that it's very difficult to work on a Chinese herbal medicine because everybody else has worked on it before and there's nothing new to learn. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, they are looking for new plant innovation, resources pretty much, yeah. that will facilitate innovation. Okay, and they've come, have they come to South Africa and started yes. working on it? Well, not necessarily working on it per se. It, it's more of a partnership, but they've been to South Africa to understand a bit more about how our traditional medicinal systems are actually set up and, um, and what kind of research we are doing. Um, they, are they are interested in this. And at the same time, they love being on Table Mountain. Yeah, of course, yeah. You can say no to Cape Town. <laughs> Who can say no to Cape Town? And so, the wine. No, of course. They love wine. They, they love The Chinese loves wine. Yes, red wine sure. especially. Especially red wine. Yeah. And the irony is that every time I go and visit in China, I have to always take our local wines to China because they say that their red wines are really awful. <laughs> they love Bordeaux-style wines, I've also noted. Very bold red wines. Yeah. But, yeah, it's interesting. It's it's massive market, though, eh? It's a, a lot huge, of people. It's a huge market. Yeah. It really is. And I think their palates are getting more sophisticated when it comes to wine in China. Yeah, that's amazing. But yeah. tell me now, with an example, are they very, most of them, like the people, even though in our age today, are they more prone to do natural medicine all over, or do they use poles if they need be? Or I think it's 50-50. Is it? It's, it's split... 50-50. Okay. Um, you have both systems that are running in parallel and both sort of westernized allopathic medicine as well as the traditional medicine in China is just as organized. And this is something that we here in South Africa can learn in terms of streamlining it, making it a little bit more safe, educating our herbalists and shaman and making it more accessible to a greater population of people mm. as a controlled, formalized system. Mm. So I think people in China are moving on you know, both directions, using you know, westernized medications as well as um, the traditional Chinese medica medication. Um, both streams are running parallel all the time. Okay, that's amazing. Now... You went to America. Yes. That's the other side again. Yeah. Why did you go to America? What happened there? And you you were there more than a year, eh? It was, I was there for almost a year. Yeah. So I was there as a Fulbright Scholar, as part of the Fulbright um, African Research Scholarship Program. It's a pretty competitive uh, program. It's a huge application. There are interviews and they are very select in terms of choosing the Fulbright um, Scholars. And I ended up in probably the coldest part of the U.S. in Minneapolis, <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> Super cold. Um, running around in the snow, making snow angels. It was quite fun. In <laughs> April, which is supposed yeah, to be spring. But, yeah. but I learned so much because they are always, um, you know, having these very intense winters. So all the plant research that you have to do has to be facilitated by having you know art, you know artistic 
world-class facilities for growing plants when it's minus 60 degrees Celsius outside. That's insane. It's very cold. And then they have all of it to grow them inside, the optimum temperature and everything. Optimum temperature, wonderful growth facilities at the University of Minnesota. And they keep, you know, they kept my little African plants very happy. It felt like Did you they bring were in some the roses and stuff, everything like from this side? Well, I, I, I took a few uh, skeletium plants with me, which is what I was working on there, is trying to understand the, the chemistry of these, um, these plants. But they kept those little Karoo plants very happy. And I tortured them with all kinds of treatments, <laughs> different ultraviolet light treatments as well as so um, basically they had these exceptional facilities and you can do whatever with it pretty much that's amazing pretty much and you know the americans when they go big they go big big. (laughs) absolutely (laughs) so that was wonderful i i learned new technologies where you take um the plant and you literally shoot the plant extract directly onto the mass spectrometer without having to go through one other step that actually separates out the chemicals. So it felt like magic. Yeah, that was like, like next level. Plant, plant yeah. magic. That's incredible. It was yeah. wonderful. And was there specific projects you were working on specifically for them or for us? How did it work? So I was working on my own projects, but um, learning new techniques of which I could you know, apply when I got back to South Africa. Uh, it was really fun. We shot a video for one of the papers that we wrote um, in this um, journal that does video experiments. So that was quite a lot of fun because usually when I write scientific articles, they end up in scientific journals yeah. and only scientists actually get to read them. But in this particular case, our journal article was actually translated to a video. So you could, if you have a mass, a mass spec, um, you could then, you know, learn from this it, from this video, and it's like YouTube for scientists. It's amazing, eh? Yeah. How today you can just literally go on YouTube and you can learn a new skill, you need Absolutely. to know something. I literally, Absolutely. earlier, I wanted to know something about this video editing and everything, because I'm quite new in this, by the way. <laughs> Wonderful. And, um, and literally YouTube did quickly, so I knew exactly what to do now. So it's incredible. It's, I'm glad it's going the same route with education. Because well, sure. anyone can access it. That's yeah, all indeed. thing. indeed. I mean, I think that is the wonderful thing about that. Yeah. And about the education a little bit, we've got about two or three minutes left. I just want to chat to you about education. How do we, how do we come across in South Africa that we need to start educating others, number one? Number two, um... Getting all women in PhDs. I want that. Oh, for sure. I want to. No, too. really. I'm a real champion for. I know you're very prone on it, and I'm also very prone. I don't have one, but I, I'm prone for women to getting there. For sure. I mean, I think Sybil, you work in a very difficult space, which is actually traditionally male. Pretty much male. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's fun. for sure. <laughs> um, in in terms of you know chefing. In terms of the wine industry, it has been male-dominated for a really long time. So I think these new spaces are really wonderful for a diversity of voices. And so um, being a woman scientist is is interesting because, you know, I feel like this is our time. Mm. You know, we've just heard about the black hole and the discovery. 
um, that this lady researcher in the US actually took this wonderful photo of the black, you know, of the black hole. So I think there's a lot of opportunities at the moment for, for female researchers and also to just change the way that we visualize our worlds. I think when you have a diversity of different ideas, you are able to innovate and solve different kinds of problems. Totally. If you've got only one way of thinking, then your solutions are going to be sidetracked or, you know, they will follow one particular linear direction. So for a multi-directional suite of problems, you need a diverse range of ideas. And this comes from diversifying the space that you actually work with. Awesome. On that note, thank you so much for my chat. Thanks it was a complete impromptu chat. Fun. I'm so glad I came. And uh, I wish you all the best. And we hope to see you in Joburg soon as well. And um, yeah, hopefully we don't lose it to America, by the way. Okay. No, no, no. I'm still here for a while. <laughs> Fabulous. Thank you from our side. At Come Join Us podcast channel. Uh, until next time. Cheers. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or log into www.nicheradio.co.za.